Okay, well, as promised, <laughs> we're going to talk about the body and um, how shall I say this? The body is interesting because it is the place, so or the top. What do I say? Topic or thing that requires that's invisible, right? The, the body per se is invisible. But if you think about relationships in general, relationships are invisible, right? I mean, if I have a relationship with Daniel, well, what exactly are we talking about? You know, um, uh, it, you can't see it. You can see the effect of it and so on and so forth. So in, in human terms, you know, or, or um, being in love or whatever, any kind of relationship like that, uh, even though there's a bond there, the bond is invisible, okay? Uh, so what that tells us is that we're capable of entering into these invisible relationships, these invisible bonds, uh, and which, you know, you can say argues that we're meant to do that because they seem to have the most significance in our lives, uh, more significant that is, everything else in our lives seems to be oriented towards supporting these invisible, intangible uh, bonds and, and connections. Um, so, um, the most important one for Christians uh, the, the, is the body. And by that I mean um, the body is our destiny. In other words, that's that's where we wind up. We wind up uh, as part of the body. So what I'm going to talk about tonight is the way that works, the way our individual, our individuality and personality kind of uh, intersects with the invisible but um, uh, all-encompassing notion of the body. So we get unity without loss of identity. I think that's a it's a beautiful picture. We um, in the body we become who we are most by being part of the body and exercising who we are in the context of the body. Okay. So let's take a quick let's just take a look at this. And I'm I'm thinking tonight I may not go as long. But you never know because I'm going to talk about John 17, even though Daniel, <laughs> he warned me. He warned me, but I can't help it. You, you know, you've got to have, if, if I, what, yeah, incorrigible, yes. Yes, uh, sorry about that. But if I, you know, if as far as I'm concerned, if um, I'm going to have an opportunity, if there's any excuse or opportunity to talk about John 17, I'm going to do it. So be warned. <laughs> okay. So as I was kind of uh, beginning to intimate, <laughs> intimate, <laughs> intimate, that's an interesting word. Um, uh, Christian unity, well, the body of Christ is a spiritual entity. Uh, it's supernatural, okay? Um, in fact, you know, everything about Christian spirituality is supernatural because it's all related to the Holy Spirit, you know. And none of it works unless the Holy Spirit shows up. And and the one of the tragedies of 
um, of uh, organized Christianity is that people are always trying to set things up so that uh, church services function without God having to show up. Uh, it's like I said earlier at the beginning, you know, we, uh, there are all these views of, you know, how to be spiritual without the Holy Spirit, you know. Um, well, you can also have the idea of how to, how to have the body without the Holy Spirit, you know, there. Or how to have church without, without the Holy Spirit. And I've always said that if God doesn't show up, we're wasting our time. We should go uh, watch football or or uh, golf or whatever the heck you know uh, we would rather be doing because well we'll just leave it there uh, but let's let's take a look at this passage it it says first uh, Corinthians 12 so first Corinthians 12 is you know more or less the uh, the classical passage about the body and you guys have probably heard it a dozen times, and I'm not going to go into it in great detail, but I will refer to it here and there. So if you if you really, you know, you could read 1 Corinthians 12 yourself, and then if you are, you know, you really, you really get into it, continue on to 1 Corinthians 13. And then if you're really, if it's really, you're really feeling it, continue on to 1 Corinthians 14, and you'll know all you need to know about the body but i'm not going to do that with you i'm going to take different a different route because i want to what i'm trying to do is get us to understand the way the spirit works in producing in creating in bringing into being the supernatural entity the body okay and okay so first corinthians 12 12 to 13 says for just as the body, meaning the human body, is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. Okay? So he's making the point that the unity of the body, the fact that we are united, is because of the Holy Spirit. All right, um, and the implication of that um, is that as individuals, and we'll you know we'll look at this a little bit, but as individuals, the closer we are to God through His Spirit, uh, the more we will enter into and be conscious of and participate in and be affected. In effect, is maybe the wrong word, but feel connected or be connected to the body. So our relationship with God as individuals um, facilitates or fosters our relationship with the body. Um, you know, it's sort of like what John says in First uh, John. He says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, cleanses us from all sin. So, you know, having this walking in the light relationship with God produces in us the ability to have fellowship with one another, okay? Uh, our, a good relationship with God issues in a good relationship with one another and with the body. Now, obviously, I, I want to say something about that um, before I get misunderstood. Um, 
there are people, and I'm not one of them, who are people people, <laughs> if you know what I mean. For, um, they're extroverts or they find it really easy to be around people, they're energized by being around people, um, you know, they're popular, they're, you know, they, they, they can small talk, they can navigate, you know, many, they have a lot of uh, relational bandwidth, okay, but you don't have to be that kind of person to be in the body. Because the body, well, I, I didn't bring this up, uh, I didn't quote this part, but if you read 1 Corinthians 12, you'll see that the body has many different kinds of people, you know, and if you try to think the body has to be all one kind of person, you're, you're wrong, because it, like Paul says, if the whole body were an ear, where would be the, where would be, I don't I'm, I'm forgetting exactly what he said, but if the whole body were an ear, where would be the eyesight, you know? If the whole body were a foot, where would be the, the head, you know? So we have to be, we have to be different. We, we, to put it, to be a body, we have to be different, right? Many members, okay? At the same time, the fact that we're different makes us tempted to say, well, I'm not like, I'm not like Tammy, so I'm not part of the body. Only people like Tammy. Tammy is a super Christian, and I'm not like her, so I just, you know, I, it's not really, I, it's not working for me, right? And, and that's, you know, Paul says, if the hand says, hey, I'm not, or if the foot says, I'm not a hand, so I'm not part of the body, the hand's still part of the body. If the, if the you know, he goes on and gives a couple of big different examples, you know. And, and what he's basically saying is, um, one of the things that our differences will tend to do is make us feel different and therefore not part of the body. And so, but when we, when we feel that way, we have to understand that those differences are the very thing that make us necessary as part of the body because you're playing a role that some other person is not playing, okay? Because you're different, you know? And that's been my experience is that not very many people are like me, uh, which is probably a good thing. <laughs> but at the same time, a lot of times I feel like, oh, you know, who am, you know, these, you know, I find myself wanting to say, these are not my people, you know, because I'm not like any of them, you know? And I, 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 it, it, uh, well, for example, last Saturday I was, uh, uh, I was, you know, doing the youth, the youth thing with, uh, with my kids at, and we had to go to San Jose, the San Jose church because they were having a mission conference. So things were kind of chaotic and they were having a good and a good time, but a very noisy time, uh, which hurt my ears. I mean, literally, I mean, I just think, you know, we had a room that was very, it had really great acoustics, but it was really, yeah, you know. So anyway, um, so after um, we finished the main thing we were doing, the kids all, you know, started hanging out and they started making all kinds of noise and hanging out with each other. And I was sort of sitting there thinking, oh, I wonder if anybody wants to talk to me, you know. But, you know, see, that's the problem, you know, being the adult in the room, you know, what? They don't want to talk to me. They want to talk to their friends. They want to talk to each other, you know. 
And so there I am, you know, alone again, naturally, you know, that kind of thing. So, and um, uh, I, I have that experience a lot, you know, especially, and, the, and even more so when people actually do talk to me, they kind of wish they hadn't, you know, they, <laughs> I've had that happen too. But anyway, um, so, you know, you, have you heard of the Mego effect? Anybody heard of the Mego effect? My eyes glaze over. Migo. I get that a lot, but anyway. <laughs> so the point I'm trying to make here, though, is those kids needed me, okay? They needed me. And so I might have not been getting a lot of, you know, enjoyment and satisfaction out of it because nobody was talking to me or anything. But at the same time, I was performing a valid function there. And, um, you know, I could see that God wanted me there for that purpose. Okay. Anyway, so... Um, Back to this, you know, we are we are all made to drink of one spirit. So, you know, that what he's saying here is because even though with all our differences and all of our, you know, d diverse personalities and and outlooks and all that, we all participate, we all drink of one spirit. So that makes us one, okay? Just like that just like our uh, you know, we are one human being even though we have arms, legs, kidneys, you know, you name it, right? Um, but but um, we're one person. And, and this is an important point. Uh, oh, yes. Um, we, okay, let me, let me just, I, I, I don't know if this is a great slide, but we, we see here that what I call the two-level, no, that doesn't work. The two-level uh, perspective. Now, I, I want you to think about, in order to understand this, I want you to think about, about, let's say you take a scientific view of the body, okay? Your human body. What, what would a scientific description of your body look like? It would talk about your cells, your organs, your vessels. It would look at all of the different individual pieces, you know, <laughs> of your body. Um, uh, but in general, you know, it wouldn't necessarily view you as, well, it might. It might talk about things like homeostasis and stuff that, that is related to the whole organism, okay? But in general, you know, you could think this, the, there's a cer certain reductionism to it. But that's a valid way to look at it. So, for example, you know, doctors need to look at you as a, a, a set, a, a kind of or, cooperating organ system, right? Um, the doctor will say, oh, you know, your kidneys aren't functioning well. We have to do something about that. Or, you know, your ejection fraction of your heart is low. You're, you're having some heart problems. Or your pancreas isn't making enough insulin. Or all these different things, right? So your, your doctor is going to look at you from a, from a certain level of perspective, and it's a valid level. But if you get a bunch of you know, organs and throw them into a pile, they're not going to get up and start walking around, are they? It's kind of like when you dissect a frog. I don't know if you guys ever did the frog dissection when you're in middle school or high school or whatever. I remember when we did it, we dissected a frog. And, you know, you learn a lot about a frog, but that after you're done dissecting the frog, the frog is not going to start hopping around, right? You know, so at one level, it's, it's 
valid to look at a human being as a collection of organs and cells and vessels and all that. That's a that's a valid way to look at at people. It helps doctors to fix things that are wrong. But it's not the the level that we ordinarily look at each other when we interact with one another, you see? And so when I look at Tammy again, I'm picking on Tammy because she's, I think she's the closest. Uh, <laughs> I'll have to shift targets anyway. But, um, you know, when I look at Tammy, I don't see a bunch of, or a collection of organs and blood vessels and stuff like that. I see a whole human being. I see an individual, a person, someone that I interact with on that level, you see. So you see that we have the, the, the um, uh, what you would call the, anyway, we have two levels of perspective and each one is valid in its own domain, okay, in an, in, in an appropriate way. But, uh, and, and so what I'm trying to get at here is that the body, the Christian, the, the, the body of Christ works the same way. Uh, there are two levels at which we look at it. There is the corporate level, and then there's the individual level as part of the corporate level, okay? And both of them are important, and we'll see how, all right? So let's read um, Ephesians 4, 1 through 7 here. Let me check my time, see how... how uh, took a kind of long time. Okay, um, I'm gonna, then I'm not going to ask you guys to read because... By the way, do we have any Zoomies yet? Huh? Rebecca? Hi, Rebecca. Okay. Anyway, um, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Notice... This is really super important. We don't create, we don't become united. Okay, the, our unity as a body is supernatural. It's given by the Spirit. Okay, our job is not to become united or create that unity, but to maintain it or preserve it. Don't screw it up, you know, <laughs> right, as the saying goes, right? Um, so we already have it. God has given us this gift of unity with one another. Have you ever met a Christian and had sort of an, you know, that you never knew, never met before, and had sort of an instantaneous resonance? I remember back when I was a fairly new Christian, I was on the bus. Uh, I, I used to ride the Greyhound a lot because we didn't have a car. And so anyway, I happened to see this, this young lady with a Bible. And I said, oh, are you a Christian? And, you know, we, we talked for, you know, the whole time of that we rode. And it was, like, really cool. You know, she was, you know, I could, we, we just clicked, you know. And, of course, I never saw her again or anything like that. But at that moment, it was really encouraging. And I felt like, wow, you know, there really is something here that if I just sat down to a regular person, there would, it wouldn't have been there. We had a sense of... A sense of unity between us or at least the ability to I don't know to to I don't know something something that was just not ordinary you know and I've seen that happen a number of times where I just 
meet someone who's a Christian and there's some resonance there. It's a gift that God gives us, okay? Um, and, and anyway, um, so let me continue. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Okay, this sounds scary, doesn't it? It's like, uh, one this, one that. I mean, where do I fit in here? I mean, do I just get swept up in the, you know, in the mass? You know what I mean? Where do I fit in? This is this sounds like a cult, right? You know, <laughs> everyone's the same, cookie cutter Christians. You know, everybody. You know, this is why I was saying earlier, we, you know, we're not, we, we, we aren't all, we don't have to be all the same. In fact, we need to not, we not be all the same in order to fulfill the various functions of the body. But this sounds, well, this oneness thing sounds really, you know, like kind of overwhelming, right? Now, that's looking at it from the negative side. Of course, it's a wonderful thing from the positive side that we do have this unity. We do have this, this, this body that we fit into, you know? We are part of something. And most people want to be part of something that's bigger than they are. You know, most people want to find something that they can find fulfillment in other than trying to make it up themselves. Very few people can survive as existentialists, right? You know? Very few people can create their own meaning of life. In fact, I'd argue that nobody can, but that's, that's me. But, um, okay, so we have this, this big thing, this wonderful thing that we can fit into. But what's left of us? Well, notice verse 7. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Notice each, or, or each one of us, each one of us, I, I misread it. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So in other words, we each have some unique gift, which again was, goes back to 1 Corinthians 12. We are individually gifted so that we can perform the, the uh, that we can be the part of the body that God meant us to be. Okay? And... Um, so here's a here's a how do we how do I say this? In in the process of fitting into the body, we're going to find that well, we're going to find that we're going to have to deal with all the stuff like in verse two, right? Um, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, right? I mean, so when we fit into the body, it it will seem to be something that that costs us. It's a costly thing to, to, in fact, one of the, one of the biggest things I've noticed in the church is people have a really tough time dying to themselves. Um, in fact, one of the, you can even argue that, or at least I've sometimes noticed that one of the biggest problems in the church is good ideas because people who have these good ideas can't let go of them, you know? And so, you know, it's like, well, maybe it just isn't, you know, maybe other people don't want to get on board with this. Well, it's a good idea. Why not? You know, and so you have all this anyway. But um, so, but what we see here is that um, 
as we're called into the body, um, we have to deal with ourselves. This is what I said earlier. To the extent that we have a good relationship with God, that is, these things like the fruit of the Spirit, humility and gentleness, patience, love, all those things are fruit of the Spirit. To the extent that, that, that we are, uh, those things are growing in us through our relationship with God, we will be able to interact with the body in, a, in healthy ways, in good ways. Okay, uh, peace there too also. <clears throat> so, um, but anyway, what I was trying to say here, now, now here's another way to, to, another thing you want to think about. Um, our destiny is, is twofold. Just like this two-level perspective, our destiny is corporate and individual. Okay, now what I mean by that is we, um, as, as you know, Jesus says uh, over and over again, well, in all the different Gospels, maybe, I think he says in three of the four Gospels, um, in order to, if you seek yourself, you'll lose it. If you die, if you lose yourself for my sake, you'll gain it to eternal life. Okay, so if you cling to yourself, you will lose yourself. Okay, this is the, the fundamental paradox of Christian living. The more you hang on to yourself and your own way and your own, your own stuff, the, the more it, you lose it. Okay, but it doesn't mean you just, you just you know, jump into the void. You, you give it up for the Lord's sake. You give it to Christ. You trust Christ with who you are and let go of yourself. Now, in practical terms, this might just simply mean um, giving up your own way. I remember uh, many years ago uh, when we first moved into this church, uh, and there was a, we, we were talking about doing a vacation Bible school, and uh, Jean Fong uh, had this thing she wanted to do. Uh, what was it called? Um, Jerusalem marketplace or something like that and it was first of all it well it, anyway it was really elaborate and it required a lot of work a lot of planning you know and and everybody was really intimidated they all said oh we can't do this we just moved into the church we can't we're not ready you know and and I I see I, I didn't really care so much about that what I cared about was that it was canned it was, you know, you bought it off the shelf somewhere. And I didn't like that kind of stuff, you know. And so everybody was kind of shooting Jean down, right? And she started crying, you know. And I remember feeling like I had really let her down. And so I, I suddenly realized that for this, that I really should support her. That I should really get on board with what she wanted to do. And the minute I felt, I thought that, it was like God was saying, yes, yes. So I did. I, I, I basically got on board and, we, and I argued that we should do this, that we could do this, and, and we ended up deciding to do it. And it was wonderful. It was great. It was spectacular. We had over 100 kids, you know. It was amazing. And the thing I realized was I let go of myself there. I didn't, you know, I had my own, you know, 
quibbles and foibles and all that. And I just said, no, I'm going to, I'm going to support my sister here out of love, you know, and, and I'm going to let go of myself. And the minute I did that, it was like, yes, it's the, you know, God was telling me that's what you should be doing, you know? So, uh, anyway, um, it's an example. It's a very simple example, you know, but you see where, where, where I've got my own thing, you know, like I don't like canned stuff, but I said, you know, is that, is that what God wants? You see, why am I hanging on? You see my point that I let go of myself, died to myself a bit there. And the result was fantastic. Okay. I even got to be the rabbi and do all the teaching and blow the chauffeur, which I wasn't very good at. You know, the chauffeur is the ram's horn. They actually had a real rat chauffeur to blow, you know, where you, anyway, I wasn't very good at it, but I got a couple of good blows in. <laughs> and then I would sing this little thing. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Anyway, that's the uh, Shema, the, uh, let's see, Shema Yisrael. Here, Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Is that right? Anyway, something like that. Um, anyway, I used to, I would, at the beginning, I would do that sort of chant. I'd blow the chauffeur and then do that chant, right? And everybody would, anyway, I had a great role. <laughs> and then I got to teach everybody everything. So anyway, um, see, I, I, I let, I lost myself and then I got myself. You see my, you see, that's how it works. That's how the body works. We lose ourselves for the sake of Christ and his body. And then we, we find ourselves in the midst of the body doing this great thing that I really enjoyed doing, you see? And, and, um, and so the problem, of course, is we want to hang on to ourselves. We want to be, we want to cling to our own views, opinions, and so on. That doesn't mean we should always give in, all right? Maybe there are times when you need to kind of stand up or, you know, make your point. But, but... You know, the point is to be willing to let go. Uh, how do I put it? To be willing to let go, you know, and to see, you know, it, it, it takes a little prayer, a little, a little discernment, but be willing to let go so that you can then decide what the right thing to do is, you see. Not just my thing. What's the best thing, you know. Okay, so um, uh, anyway, so we have... Uh, let's see, I, I kind of took myself out of my, I didn't, anyway, okay. Um, yes, so our destiny is the body, but that we are individuals. And why do I say that our destiny is that we are, we never lose our individuality? And, and it might be kind of a surprising argument, but um, in Revelation, <laughs> If you look at the different at the the letters to the seven churches, there is one instance where um, to him who overcomes, um, I will give a white a white stone with a new name that only he knows. Okay, now what is that saying? That when something that has a unique name, it's a new name that only he knows. It's not an uh, it's not a recycled name, so it's brand new. That means uniqueness. That and that uniqueness persists into eternity. 
you have, you in eternity, you have a name, a unique name that only you know, well, you and God, because he gave it to you. Well, he, he wrote it on the white stone. You see, that's a symbolism of the fact that, well, the white stone, the white stone is given to the gladiator, and it means you get to get in free to everything. Um, but the point is that it has this unique uniqueness to it. So you're you're always going to be unique in some way. You never lose that, you see? It's a mistake to, you know, because like say the Hindus or whatever think that, you know, we're like drops of water, we get drop we drop into the ocean and lose our uniqueness and identity uh, and just become part of the vast ocean of God, right? That's that, that's not how it works. We always have uniqueness. You see? even in eternity. But at the same time in eternity, our destiny is to be the bride of, part of the bride of Christ. Okay? And it's really interesting too because it says, also in Revelation, it says um, that the bride was, uh, was given to adorn herself in uh, white linen, Fine white linen, bright as something or other. I can't remember the exact quote. It's in Revelation. I can't even remember. Revelation 20, 21, or 22. I think it's 21. But anyway, she's given to adorn herself in this fine white linen. And, and then it says, the linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. In other words, what that's saying is the things we do right now. The righteousness, the goodness, the things that we do, the way we love one another, our, our faithfulness to God, endures forever. It's the clothing that the bride wears. You see? Symbolic, right? The bride is adorned it, and made beautiful by all the things you are doing right now. You see? Gives good incentive. It won't ever be forgotten. It won't be lost. A lot of times we may look at, we go on in this life and say, huh, it's another day. It was tough. No good, you know, it was funny. Oh, let me give you a funny example. There's this old lady. Um, she and her husband are really old. They live kind of a, on the other side of the cul-de-sac. And she comes up knocking on my door and she says, she's, she's, she's asked me for help a couple of times. She comes up knocking on my door and says, uh, you know, uh, I, I, she said she went on a trip and she left her garbage out while she was on the trip and one of the neighbors reported her for leaving the garbage out, the garbage cans, more than 24 hours. And she actually got a ticket because of that. So she said, would you do me a favor, bring my garbage out and, you know, bring the cans out, you know, the, the bins out and put it back. And I said, oh, sure, no problem. Oh, here we go. This Lawrence, right? Hey, Lawrence. So, anyway, um, uh, so I said, "Oh, sure, no problem." You know, I, I don't. I felt kind of bad that you know one of our neighbors would do that to reporter, but so uh, I noticed that the the recycling bin she had put she'd stacked cardboard flaps kind of so that they were up, you know. It wouldn't close all the way, you know. And I looked in there, and there was some styrofoam and all this. So, of course, put it. I put it out, and of course, you know, it was really windy and stormy the other day. 
blew the cardboard all over the place, blew the styrofoam, styrofoam into the neighbor's yard, you know. Uh, so I, I, I was, I just, I don't know why I looked out there, but I was looking out there and I said, oh, and then I said, no good deed goes unpunished, you know. <laughs> so I walked out there, you know, got all the styrofoam, got everything. And, and, uh, fortunately the cardboard flats had gotten wet, so they were easy to stuff in. They would, you know. And uh, I and I even had to put some in my own bin, and you know, just to get get them all off, you know, off the ground. Um, and I was just kind of laughing, you know, that it's a simple thing, right? Take the garbage out for me, except it turned into a kind of a big production, right? But I think I think that you know, there's a sense in which God is God is you know seeing that, you know, God is saying, okay, Fred, you did something nice for your neighbor. You know, and I think this is great. You know, so the the righteous deeds of the saints will will adorn the bride in eternity. Okay, never not going to get lost. Okay, and I there's one more example I like to use here. When we're talking about the body, corporate, and the body as individuals, and uh, you might have heard me use this example before, but um, did I already talk? Anyway. There's uh, the movie um, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, right? And uh, in that movie, there's uh, the the witch doctor or whatever he is. He sticks his hand into the guy and pulls his heart out, and the heart's starting to, you know, burn and all that. And the guy's still alive. The heart's still beating. And then finally, you know, everything he dies and all. I don't know exactly what happens, but it it doesn't turn out well. So I was thinking, look, we let's say let's say that metaphorically speaking, you are a heart, okay? Are you going to be able to function outside the body? No. <laughs> if you're taken outside the body, you're a heart, you're taken outside the body, you will it will not go well, right? Now, the thing is, where can you be your best? In the body being the heart you were meant to be, you see. When you're outside the body, both you and the body suffer, right? If you're not part, if you are part of the body, an essential, you know, an important part of the body, and you're not playing your role, you suffer because you're not playing your role. You'd be fine. Life is just kind of meh, you know. What am I doing here? Why am I, you know, who am I, you know? What do I, what do I want? You know, all that sort of thing, right? Like Babylon 5. Who are you? What do you want? You know, anyway. I don't know if you, anybody know about, anyway, too many, too many movie references. Too many references. All right. So, um, but if you're, if you are, Outside the body, when you're supposed to be in the body, neither you nor the body will do as well as when you are playing your role. The role that God intended you to play. And it's a beautiful role. I mean, you know, God does, you know, if you, if you again, read 1 Corinthians 12, even the roles that seem less uh, important or less attractive, God gives special honor to those roles, you know. Read, read the whole, so that everybody ends up feeling like, wow, this is really worthwhile, you know? Anyway, okay, so again, we have to always keep these two levels of perspective in mind. Okay, 
So, uh, so the fundamental statement, again, 1 Corinthians 12, 27, you are the body of Christ. Y'all, <laughs> y'all are the body of Christ and individually members of it, okay? You see, this is a fundamental thing. This is something that is, you need to see this. You, there are no, no lone wolf Christians, okay? So Christians will say, or you might say, all right, I know God, I know Christ, I, you know, I believe, but why do I need to go to church? And, and that in and of itself is something we'll talk about later. It, it shows that you haven't really figured out what God is trying to do. If you talk about going to church, that in itself is a sort of a misconception. And, there, and it's not your fault if you have that misconception, um, usually. <laughs> but it, because, you know, we've been really ill-served by, by our Bible translations and things like that, especially in that area. There are a lot of political things, a lot of historical political things that go into the translations in the Bible. For example, why does the Bible talk about baptizing? Do you know that baptizo is a Greek word? And do you know what it means? It means to immerse. The, so if they had translated the word immerse and made it, you know, like the King James, if they'd used the word immerse, all heck would have broken loose because that was a major, you know, there were the sprinklers and then there were the immersers and they fought wars over that, you know. So, so basically they just, they punted, you know. They said, we're not going to translate that word. We want to keep our heads, you know. We do not want to end up in the Tower of London, you know. So they basically just transliterated the word. And there are, you know, a few places where, that, where that's happened. Um, so anyway, the word church is a, a similar example. The word church is not a translation of a Greek word, uh, unfortunately, even if they had... Anyway, uh, it, it's actually, I believe, a Scottish word that, got, that wound up as being used to translate the word ecclesia. So anyway, the whole thing's a mess, you know, and, and this is what's where some people really ought to know how to read Greek. And even more Hebrew, well, well, if possible Hebrew, but definitely you got to have, I would argue, you should have someone out there in your church or at least accessible to your church that knows how to read at least one of the original languages. May not always be possible, but it helps. On the other hand, the person could also be a troublemaker, so, like me. But anyway, if you say go to church, you're, you're, I don't need to go to church. I know God. I, don't, I, you know, I pray. I can read the Bible myself. I don't need to go to church. Okay, that, there is no, that, that misses out. First of all, it misses out on half the fun, if not more than half the fun. Second of all, it misses out on the, something fundamental about what God is trying to do. You see, God is trying to create this, this supernatural entity, okay? And you are, in a, you are meant to be part of that entity, both for the sake of yourself and for the sake of the entity. You see, you don't go to church. You are the body. You are the ecclesia, the, the, the assembly of God's people, okay? 
All right. So, and then at the same time, though, you are individually members of it. Everyone is called individually. You become a Christian as an individual. You are baptized as an individual, right? All this stuff. Now, that doesn't mean you can't, you know, your parents or your family can't help you with your faith and all that. There's a, there's a lot of that that happens. But, there, but at some level, you as an individual become a Christian. And then, as an individual, you are then part of the supernatural entity known as the body or the church, however you want to call it. But you're, again, your personhood is never subsumed because there's always an... It's not... See, here's the thing. When I say that your personhood is never subsumed in the collective, you, you trust that. You trust that God, that Christ knows you. Christ knows, you know, Lawrence, and Christ knows Grace, and, you know, Christ knows, you know, the individual. He knows you. So you can let go of yourself, let go of your rights, let go of your claim to, you know, yourself, and, and for the sake of Christ, not just to be a doormat. You don't, in other words, you may, you know, it's not like, oh, it hurts so good, you know. You're not being a doormat on purpose, though you may be called to be a doormat at times. I mean, it's, you know, I'm, I'm serious. There are times when you may feel really trampled on, you know, in which case you think to yourself, hey, I'm right in line with where Christ was, you know. Think about what Christ went through. See, so, we, so he's already done everything he ever wants us to do. And so we follow in his footsteps. We don't blaze new trails of pain and agony. He's already been there. And we can trust him to, have a, to, ha to catch us, to be there for us in the midst of all that. In fact, we can boast in it because we're sharing in his sufferings, you know. It's kind of like, anyway. All right. Um, let's continue here. There's another point. We are a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. This is... So when I was mentioning the thing about the church, um, I mean, I'd get to John 17. Anyway, you may uh, have your wish here, Daniel. Anyway, um, when I was mentioning the thing about church, when I say go to church, what do you think of? What do you think of? Give me a volunteer, somebody volunteer for me. What do you think of when you think of going to church? Huh? Okay, now, okay, so you're, you're, you're kind of, you have a good, a good view. Uh, um, but, you know, the average person, when you think, go to church, you think, I'm going to go to this place with this building that has certain kinds of decorations and certain layout. You know, like, for example, up in the front, they'll usually have a cross They'll usually have a front. They'll usually have like pews or something of that nature. In other words, you think of a building in a particular place with a certain stereotyped layout, right? That's what a church is. This is a church because it looks like a church. In fact, um, I remember when, when we bought the place, somebody was saying, you know, our church looks like, we now, we now meet at a place that looks like a church, you know? I mean, people were complaining. I remember 
I don't, I don't remember the details, but people were saying, oh, we got to have a building that looks like a church. And I'm thinking to myself, it, it was just painful. It was just painful. <laughs> Sorry about that. You know, um, but so the question is, Exactly. The church looks like people. The yes. Church, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So we the church the church, which we'll define in a moment, is a dwelling place for God. Okay. So what? I, all right. Let me go back to a minute. When we're talking about a building that looks like a church, we are talking about a temple. Okay, the idea is Christians think of themselves as meeting in temples. This is a temple. Okay, why do I call it a temple? Because it has religious um, ornamentation. It has things set up in us. So you've got an auditorium there, right? Any auditorium would work. Uh, just a square room with seats in it, right? And a place to, for the speaker to speak from and all that. But instead, you have a sort of, like I said, stereotyped layout over there, right? You have a, a, a particular, what, all right, what do they call it? Sanctuary, right? You know, what does that word sanctuary come from? From the Old Testament, the, tab, the tabernacle, which was then emulated in the temple, right? So we're still doing temple worship when we, do, when we think about it that way. The problem with that is that is not what God is doing right now. God is not doing physical temple worship anymore. How do I know that? John 4. The woman at the well said, where do we, where do we go, you know? Do we, we do, we're supposed to worship here on this mountain, at least according to our people. But you guys say we have to go worship in the temple. And, he said, God, and Jesus said, neither. Those who worship must worship in spirit, which is in when Jesus' term, inward, and truth, authenticity, you know, uh, sincerity. You're worshiping, you're really worshiping, meaning it, and, and you're worshiping on the inside, in, the, in spirit, and worshiping meaning submitting to God, okay? Worship is submission to God, saying yes to God. It's all very simple. It's all very simple. Anybody can do it. It's supposed to be, it's supposed to be something anybody could do. Doesn't take, a, doesn't take a seminary degree or you don't have to be able to read Greek or Hebrew. You can just say yes to God in your heart and mean it. That's what God wants has nothing to do with where, what kind of building, you see. But the Christians are, or, or we are, we, to level perspective again, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Does that mean we are a building? Well, we are a building, a spiritual building. Okay, this is something uh, Peter talks about. He says that you are living stones, living stones, built into a holy temple, okay? But you see, it's not a building in the normal sense of the word, not a physical building. It's living stones. It's us, you and me. We are the temple of God. Or you could say we are the church, you see. You, me, and all of us 
living stones, you know, we are the place God comes to live. So here's what it says. We, first of all, we have this two-level perspective, perspective again. We each have the Holy Spirit in us individually. Each one of us has God's Spirit in us. In fact, Romans uh, 8 says, uh, if, I think it's 8, 9, I'm not sure. It says, uh, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you're not, you don't belong to him. So each of us has the Spirit of Christ individually, right? The Holy Spirit. Uh, so it says, and then we also corporately have the Holy Spirit, okay, in a different mode. The, 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 um, the, the individual coming together, uh, um, the, the Holy Spirit fills us corporately, okay? I know it sounds kind of weird, but don't worry about it. It works, okay? The point is that when we're together, the Holy Spirit, we are the we. The Holy Spirit is present in our midst and in us at the same time. Okay, that's the way the Holy Spirit works. He's not. He's not um, lo localized. Okay. All right. So First Corinthians three sixteen to seventeen. Do you not know that you, plural, all of you, are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in you, all of you. If, I mean, collectively, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Notice, again, you, not a building, are the temple of God. The temple is where God lives. You, we, us, all of us together, we are God's temple. We are where God lives. Okay, then we also have 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, um, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now this is, a sim this is also plural, but it means, but it's talking about each one of you. Okay, it's talking about you, each one of you. And the context here is people were, were um, uh, going to prostitutes. And he's saying, if you go to a prostitute, you are making, uh, uh, you are uh, becoming one flesh with the prostitute. You're joining Christ with a prostitute, you know. And so that's why he said this. Do you not know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? So you as an individual... Even though, you know, all of you as individuals are temples of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So, so it, again, it has that double perspective. We are a temple of the Holy Spirit as all together, but we're also temples of the Holy Spirit in our individual lives and conduct. Okay? Um, so, it, and it matters at both levels. You see, if we are joining Christ to prostitutes or whatever we do, you know, if we are, uh, we will end up corrupting the body. We'll corrupt the whole. The little, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So individually, we can corrupt the whole, the corporate um, uh, temple, so to speak. Okay. So we need. So anyway, that the the point is that it matters at both levels of perspective, what we do. Okay. I don't know if that made sense or not. Anyway. Um, Okay, uh, 
I want to talk about the Lord's table uh, because this is both a, um, a, a an example, but it's also a fundamental issue. Okay, and again, this is one of those things where history has uh, it's a long, sad story of where we got, uh, how we wound up with crackers and grape juice, spiritual snacks. How did we end up here? But um, I'm not going to go into all the details. I'm just going to say that's not what they did. Okay, they didn't do that. They did something entirely different. Um, so let's look. To, um, so what we have is a spiritual reality, the oneness of the body. Right? How do we give that? How do we express it? How do we make it public? I mean, now you could just you can just kind of hang out, right? But we, I mean, people might not know what the hanging out means, right? Ah, oh, these people seem to really enjoy one another's company. You know, I kind of like, I'll hang out with them too, you know, right? Or something, right? And, and nobody knows what's going on. So what we're talking about here is we want to express, we want to make public the spiritual reality. And in order to do that, we give it physical expression. And that physical expression is the Lord's table. I call it a spiritual overlay. So what we have is a meal, a fellowship meal, which has a spiritual significance. The spiritual, the spirit, it's actually a spiritual meal overlaid onto a physical meal. Okay. It is a physical meal. I, I, I'm, you know, it's interesting to me that churches have these things called communion, right? Where you get the little cracker and the little thimble of whatever it is by that time. You know? um, I wonder if it ever actually turns into wine. I guess they have enough preservative in there that it won't do it. But anyway, um, you get that stuff. But everybody knows, everybody feels like that's not enough. So what do you have instead? You have church potlucks, right? <laughs> and that's when you actually do the Lord's table, you see, except you don't do the wine and bread, the bread at the beginning and the wine at the end, which is the way they did it in the New Testament, you see. Okay, let me just, let me just read this. Uh, so we have a spiritual reality that we're expressing through physical means. 1 Corinthians 10, 16, 17. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So this is talking about the symbolism of this meal, okay? We take a piece of, we take a loaf of bread, and or a whatever, I, I don't know. It doesn't really seem to matter whether you use leaven or not. You know, like, you know, a lot of people use the matzo, which is unleavened and break it, it really goes snap, you know, crackers, right? Or you can take a, a loaf of bread and you tear it apart, right? You don't actually, I guess you could say you're breaking it. It doesn't matter. The point is you have this one thing, you break it and hand it out and everybody gets some. Well, because it's one bread, we who partake of it are one body. You see, that's the symbolism, you see? That's why you do it that way. 
in, in taking a single bread and handing it out to everybody, we say we are one. Why are we one? Well, what does the bread mean? What does the bread represent? Grace, you should know this. What does the bread represent? The body of Christ. And what happened to the body of Christ? It was broken. Why did we break? What on earth? Why are you breaking the body of Christ? Why? Huh? Did you say sin? No. Well, that, well, kind of yes in the most generic sense. But why do, why? So that means when we break the bread to have the Lord's table, we're, we're sinning? No. Why do we break the bread? So we can eat it. I mean, right? We have to give it, we have to break it and give it out. Okay. But in breaking the bread, we see that we, we recapitulate, we remember, we represent Christ's death. Christ's death was our life. You see, and that's represented when we break the bread, we are then able to eat the bread. And the bread is life, right? The bread is food. We eat the bread to live, right? It's food. And then we drink the cup to live also. And that's the blood. So the point I'm trying to make here is that we have this physical thing we do, breaking this bread, handing it out, that has a spiritual meaning which corresponds to the physical action. We break the bread in the same way that Christ died and his body was broken for us. We hand it out because it's one bread, we are, uh, we are one body sharing the same life. You see what I mean? This is the meaning of what we do when we break the bread. And so that's why it's a real shame that you get, nowadays they give you these little cups that have a thing that you open up and there's this little thing in there, kind of whatever, I don't know, some inorganically bonded, reconstituted wheat product or something. I don't know what the heck it is, you know. Anyway, it's not, you can't even, a lot of times you can't even break it. It's so stale, you know, you try to break it. I, mean, I always try to break mine just to remember, right? Well, it won't even break. It kind of sogs, you know. The, you see what I'm getting at, though? We really want to remember what, and, you know, we're not sharing it, you know. It's all, the symbolism is lost, okay? But why does it matter? Because in sharing the spiritual meal, we also share the physical meal, which is how we share our lives with one another. Because eating together is one of the most fundamental human bonding activities there is. Right? Who do you, what do you do with your friends? You eat together. That's a common denominator in every society, in every, you know, what, you know, you could say a family is constituted you know, or, or is bond, you know, the family that eats together stays together, maybe, you know, that kind of thing where when you eat together as a family or, you, you know, even like Thanksgiving or whatever, you eat together to celebrate your oneness. It's fundamental. Well, that's what you're doing here. Except the oneness is, represents a spiritual oneness, which is more fundamental than the physical oneness, you see? So that's why I say it's the spiritual is an overlay on the physical and gives it deeper significance. 
and it relates it to the death of Christ, which is the, what made us one, you see? Okay, let me go to the next slide. So um, this is the 11, 1 Corinthians 11, 17 to 34, uh, which is a test, which is a case study here, you might say. Paul's talking about, well, you'll see. You, you all know this passage. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Okay, so Paul's basically saying, yeah, there are going to be divisions because, you know, there are some people who are screw, screwing up, you know, they're going their own way. And so you, you don't want to have, you don't want to maintain an artificial unity where the ones that are genuine are forced to kind of, you know, be dragged along with those who are, are not. Which is kind of an interesting point, okay? There must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Okay, well, but that's beside the point here. Verse 20, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Look at the assumption here. The assumption is when they come together, what would they do? Eat, okay? That's one of the four things. You know, there are four things that they did in, in Acts. Uh, it was uh, 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 hear the word of the apostles, pray, fellowship, which means, you know, talking, sharing your life with each other. And anybody know the last one? Eat. Those are the four things the early church did. One of them was eating. Eating is part of what the church does. I mean, that's, you know, we have this so-called communion, right? Well, that's supposed to be a meal. We're supposed to eat together, okay? Why? Because it is a fundamental bonding activity. It represents our sharing our lives with one another, you see? So when we're eating together tonight, which it's kind of ironic, isn't it, that I didn't bring my dinner. <laughs> but anyway... Uh, okay, so when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. <laughs> one goes, huh? You, I sure did. Boy, I really blew it. I really blew it. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. Well, I didn't get drunk. I have to admit. <laughs> what? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. What's going on here? They're having a love feast without any love, right? <laughs> they're, they're having a potluck where they all eat their own food and don't share it with anybody, you know. Um, and the poor people. So that what you have here is a church where they have... Probably, the way I envision it, I might be wrong, there were people who were fairly well off, you know, well-to-do, and they didn't have to work for a living. They basically could come, say, four in the afternoon and bring their food and start, you know, enjoying, drinking, eating, drinking. And then the, the servants and slaves, they'd get off at, say, you know, 7.30, because in those days they worked 12-hour days, and they'd start showing up, 
And by, you know, the thing's already been going on for three and a half hours, and so there's not a, the pickings become mighty slim by that time, you know. And so these poor uh, slaves and servants come walking into the, to the love feast, and people say, oh, sorry, uh, you know, we haven't, it's all gone. Sorry about that, you know. Poor, poor people, right? They're, they're left in the lurch. Uh, okay. So Paul says, what are you doing? This is not the Lord's Supper. You guys are eating the Lord's Supper? Ha, I'll believe it when I see it, right? You know. So, um, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So basically, he's initiating the meal. This is a meal, right? They're eating, they're eating, actually, they're eating probably, I think it was a Passover together. I'm, it's a little bit unclear sometimes, but yeah, no, it was. He called it a Passover. So it's a Passover. So he starts off by breaking the bread, okay? And you can think of it as a way to set the context for the meal, okay? So for example, you know, if it's a wedding feast, you know, you'll have some kind of, celebration of the wedding maybe i'll have a speech or something and then you'll eat i don't know whatever but in other words you know why you're doing it okay so here you know he breaks broke the bread and said this is my body which is for you so that's what we're supposed to do we're supposed to do the same thing we break the bread and remember do this in remembrance of me now all right i'll just i'm not going to go and talk about the weird stuff that people have come up with regarding the you know the theology of this it's very simple you get a piece of bread and you break it and you remember the fact that this was the body you know that Christ died for you this is a remembrance that Christ died for you that's what it says do this in remembrance of me and it represents a spiritual reality that is we are one because we're eating the same bread in the same way we spiritually participate, like it says earlier, in the, in the death of Christ, okay? The death of Christ is our life. The bread we break is our physical life. The death of Christ is our spiritual life. Just remember those two levels, okay? You know, but they go together and they harmonize. They harmonize really beautifully. It, this is actually a very beautiful thing, you know? You are, you are remembering a, uh, a life that was given for you and it makes you one, it, makes, it puts love in the middle of what you're doing. It makes you, you know, all, in other words, we are then, we are then, um, um, ah, sorry, my vocabulary. Uh, oh, well, we, we, I want to say authorized, but that's not the right word. We're then authorized to love one another. We're, we're authorized, bad word, we're authorized to be a body, a one body. I wish I could remember the word that I want to use there. But anyway, we, we now have that mandate to say, you know, we're one. You're, you and I, we are sharing our very life. We're sharing our being because we're, we're taking the being that Christ shared with us 
and we're all sharing it. We're all participating in the same thing. We have one spirit going on here. We're all brought together in this double level spiritual, physical reality. Okay. Now, the best times you have ever had, imagine the, you know, the best time you've ever had in banquets or whatever, right? Think about it. Well, this is what we're, this is really what's in store for us. Keep in mind that throughout the Bible, starting even back in Exodus and going through the Bible, ending in Revelation, heaven is a banquet, right? In Exodus, it talks about how God invited the 70 elders and Moses and uh, Aaron and Joshua and whoever all uh, up to the mountain. And, and he, it's, it's interesting. It's, you almost think it's like a Godfather scene because it says, but, but it's not. It's an anti-Godfather scene because in the Godfather, they shot the guy. But, you know, so it says that they ate and they saw the God of Israel and were not destroyed. <laughs> they ate and drank with him, you know. So there's this banquet that God throws for his pe for the elders because he wanted to do this with all the people. They were scared to death of, you know, the, the, the whole thing. So they, he said, okay, I can't get them all, just at least get the elders. And then this will be in the Bible there, you know, so that people will know about it. You know, that, that this is what God wants. He wants to eat and drink with us. Okay, so we go through the Bible, we get to the, par I, I know my time is getting short here, but we get to the parable of the great banquet that the master, this man throws and invites everybody and none of them, all of them beg off and he gets mad and says, okay, let's get the, let's get the poor, lame and, you know, the homeless. Let's get everybody in here because none of those guys are ever going to, are ever going to be invited to my banquet. And then you have, of course, Revelation, right? Well, you have, the, you have this, the Lord's table, the love feast. And then you have Revelation, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And you're all invited, you know. The most glorious wedding banquet that will ever be. And that's, that's, our, that's where we're headed, you see. And so eating together, this, this Lord's table, this love feast is a foreshadowing of the eating together that we do in the uh, wedding feast of the Lamb. And sad that we don't do it. Well, we do it in potlucks. So at least we get that much, right? Think of your potluck as the love feast or the Lord's table, you know? And remember why you can do it. Because he died. We proclaim his death, okay? Well, that's what it says. In, all right. In the same way. Okay, now look at this. This is really interesting. Verse 25. In the same way also he took the cup after supper. After supper. So here's the, here is the way it worked. They broke the bread, ate the meal. Then he took a cup after supper. After the meal was over. It's like a toast. A parting toast at the end of the meal. And actually what they did was they took the, he took the cup, he said his, said his little thing, and then he passed it around. Each of them took a bit of the cup in their own cup, is what they did, okay? So the idea is, yeah, you take the cup of wine, you know, not that. Um, uh, C.S. Lewis's wife called, um, uh, 
called it that abominable fluid grape juice. You know, <laughs> she anyway. So uh, anyway, they really, they wine. I mean, after all, you know, well, what the heck were they getting drunk on? You know, um, so they're getting drunk on the communion wine, right? Well, that's because they were drinking it all themselves. So if you share it, you don't get drunk, but you but you get elevated, right? You know, wine to gladden the heart of man. I am honestly serious about this. This is supposed to be celebratory. We celebrate the fact that Christ died for us. We celebrate the fact that we are one because of him. We celebrate the fact that we have love right there in the middle of everything that bonds us together. That's what this is for. I'm not going to make it to John 17, so you don't have to be afraid here, Daniel. Much as I'd like to. Ah, I knew I should have put it first. Ah. I keep putting this important stuff last, which is really dumb. I, I got to learn from this. Anyway, um, for as often as, oh, so uh, in, the, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So what you have here is the sign of the new covenant. It's the cup. The blood of Christ is the sign of it. It represents his death, right? So there's always a sign to every covenant. There's circumcision. There's the Sabbath. The circumcision is the sign of the the rainbow is the sign of the Noah the Noah covenant, Noahide covenant. Um, the circumcision is the sign of the Abrahamic covenant. The um, the um, uh, the Sabbath is the sign of the Mosaic covenant. Very ironic, by the way. Um, because the Sabbath is rest, but it's a covenant of works. So that's, that is majorly significant, you know. In other words, that rest is in the very heart of the covenant of works. Haha. <laughs> so that's something to keep in mind. Uh, and then the, the new covenant is a covenant in his blood. So every time we, we drink the cup, we are um, remembering, we are... We are um, we are making visible the sign of the new covenant, the blood of Christ, the death of Christ, okay? For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So, so in other words, when you do this, you are telling everybody, we are one because he died. We live because he died. You see, that's what it's all about. We do it in celebration, okay? Now, it's very interesting here, verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. What does that mean? See, the problem with that, that verse is it created a sort of cottage industry of theologizing about the, the, um, the Lord's table. Okay? Uh, you wind up with all kinds of weirdness. And I'm not going to go into it um, because it isn't helpful. The point is here, it's what, it, what they were doing was they were eating the bread and drinking the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. What were they doing? We will find out in a minute, okay? Um, they, but they were doing it wrong. <laughs> I should have a little picture. You know, you're doing it wrong, you know. So anyway... You guys know those memes, you know, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> There's all kinds of different ones, you know. There's one with uh, a laptop 
and it's got bullet holes in it, and it says, screenshots, you're doing it wrong. Anyway, I thought that was pretty funny. Anyway, let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So examine yourself. Well, what are you supposed to look for? Now everybody, see, see, this is a problem. We, we turn this celebratory moment into this somber, you know, focusing on our sins, kind of sin management type of thing, right? That's not what he's talking about here. Honestly, he's not talking about this. What's he talking about? For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Okay, that's what you're supposed to think about. When you eat and drink, do you say, these are my brothers and sisters? No matter how poor, no matter what race, no matter how smart, no matter how dumb, no matter how rich, no matter what, no matter what language, every tribe, tongue, whatever, economic class, right? These are my brothers and sisters. If you do not see that, if you do not discern the body, okay? That is, do not see the body of Christ when you eat and drink the bread and wine, you eat and drink judgment on yourself. And that's exactly what they were doing. They were saying, okay, these poor people who don't have anything, well, they don't matter, right? You see, that was the travesty of it. They Again, that's what I say. They have a love feast with no love, you see. Um, so that is, so I know you probably, you know, again, you have this weird um, uh, metaphysical view of discerning the body that somehow the bread and wine turn into the actual body and blood of Jesus or something. If you don't, don't think about that. Don't, it's, this has nothing to do with that, okay? It's, it's someone's warped and perverted imagination. It's cultish, okay? Basically, Christ is present not in the, the bread and wine. He's not, well, he is in a generic sense, like Christ is present everywhere, right? God is everywhere, right? But Christ is specifically present in you and me. When, we, when we're gathered together to eat the bread and drink the wine in remembrance of his death, he's right there present in us as his holy temple. You see what I'm saying? That's why we have to, we have to, uh, uh, we have to discern the body. Christ, so if I'm looking at Tammy here and I'm saying, Tammy is, I don't know, a poor person and she just comes to the love feast so that she can she can chow down on my expensive food. So I'm going to eat it before she gets here. Then I am not see then I am I'm despising Christ because Christ is in Tammy. You see my point? Christ is in each one of us. That is what make, you know, because you know, his spirit, the spirit of Christ is in each one of us. So when we despise the body, we despise Christ, you see? When we see the body, when I see Christ in Tammy, I see Christ in Ashley, I see Christ in Grace, I see Christ, well, I don't know about, no, just kidding. <laughs> I see Christ in, you know, in my brothers. I'm the one who ate at home by myself. I'm the one who ate at home by myself, so, oh my gosh. Uh, 
I, I, I'm, I'm going to be judged. Uh, that's why I'm so weak and ill. And Anyway, but if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. You could read the rest yourself. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. Well, there you go. See, I did. It says right there in the Bible, eat at home. No, I mean, in other words, if you, you know, they were saying, oh, well, we can't wait. We can't wait for these poor people. We're hungry. Well, eat at home before you come, if you're that hungry. You know, I mean, the whole point is you're supposed to be sharing with one another. If you're really that hungry, eat at home. Okay? In other words, Paul's basically saying, come on, guys. Use some sense here. Okay? All right. Well, um, next is John 17, and I guess I'm going to have to... Yes, we're going to have to stop. Uh, so maybe a few minutes for questions, if anyone has them. Uh, this might be a good time to ask any like very practical questions you have about what it means to be part of the body of Christ. Like any pushback against the way he's describing it or whatever it might be. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, this wasn't all that practical, uh, but actually next week we're going to do practical. Edwin and I will uh, do another podcast-like format, and we'll talk about the practical outworking of this stuff. But you can ask stuff now if you want. I'm not proud or tired. See, I knew it, Daniel. I, I should just go on and do that. <laughs> if you did that one first, there would be a lot more questions? Or Maybe. A lot less questions. A lot less questions, like, uh, wait a minute. Am I, am, I, is this, am I believing in the right religion? Or something, you know? <laughs> that is this uh, story. I, I don't know if you guys ever heard of uh, uh, Bob, what is it, Bob Goff? Or Bob Goff? Huh? Bob Goff, uh, everywhere all the time, something like that, where he's talking about uh, this uh, witch doctor who uh, wa- was in jail that you know he helped lead to Christ uh, after having helped convict him of you know mutilating a child. He he got convicted by the Holy Spirit um, to go and talk to him, and and you know so he ended up leading him to Christ and. And so they had an evangelistic uh, service for all the witch doctors. There are a lot of witch doctors apparently in that jail, or a lot of people like that in the jail. And so they had an evangelistic service, and the witch doctor guy that Bob Goff had led to Christ gave the message. And Bob Goff, when he was when he was done, Bob Goff said, it was the worst message I've ever heard. By the time it was over, I wasn't even sure I was a Christian, you know. <laughs> and... And yet, a lot of them became Christians as a result. It was just weird. So anyway, I don't want to do that to you, though. I mean, yeah, if you want to become a Christian, that's great. But I, if you aren't already one. Questions. Somebody ask one question so I know that I'm... Unless I'm totally, pollucidly clear. I kind of have like a small, weird question. Okay. <laughs> 
Um, in one of the slides, uh, when you were talking about uh, how we have like the Holy Spirit appropriately, um, and then you were mentioning that like both views, uh, that like, one meant um, all of you and the other one meant each of you. Like what, I don't, I don't know if I'm like confusing myself, but I don't I think I understand like is all not each and each not all. Say it louder please. Is, is all not each and each not all. Okay, so um, you're asking, a, so on which you're talking about are these two, you as all of you and you each of yeah, you. Like, yeah. Like if I said you all have $5 collectively, that's different from saying you all have $5, each one of you has $5. Yeah. Is that what it's technically saying? Well, so the way, so, 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17 says, you all, it's talking in the context of the church as a whole, okay? And says, you all, the church, are God's temple. And God's spirit dwells in you, okay? And he's talking about people who are, you know, messing up the church. It says, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. So the church is... A dwelling place for God okay do I know what that means well it means that God's present here present in among those who are his people as they join together in unity okay all right it but it then says you know in 1st Corinthians 6 19 and 20 on an individual basis each one of you has the Holy Spirit okay and what it means there is that God is present with each one of us, you know, as, as uh, we, we each individually receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, how is that different from the first one? I don't know. I, I, I just know that we have an individual uh, connection or, or experience or whatever of the Holy Spirit. We have an individual blessing, seal, gift, all of these things. The Holy Spirit is God's promise that he will do all that he has promised, or, or God's guarantee that he will do everything he's promised for us individually. Okay, But as the church as a whole, we also have God's presence uh, among us. Okay, When we gather together, we have God there, you know, and if we don't, then we are, we're, we're wasting our time, you know. Uh, that's kind of why we sometimes have these, this sense that, you know, pe people just have a real good sense of warmth and God being there and, and all that, you know, um, not always necessarily, and we don't demand that, but, you know, there is a sense in which not only do I feel that God is here, but you feel it, and you feel it, and you know, we all feel it, we all have this, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever had that kind of experience. I think most of us probably have at one time or another, you know. It may not be that, may not be every Sunday, or it may not be that common necessarily, depending on the, the, but every now and then, or even at a retreat or something, where we have this real strong sense that God is there, he's doing something, you know, touching people's hearts, right? Uh, and so 
the, the, the way it works is, again, we have, a, we have a two levels of perspective. We are a corporate, in, we're a corporate entity, the body of Christ, and God is in the body of Christ. And then we are individuals. The Holy Spirit is in the individual. You see, that's basically that's what it says. And so we just live as though both are true. I'm always saying that to you, aren't I? <laughs> just live as though this is true. <laughs> anyway, you, you, does that make sense? Yeah. 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 I, I think it was just like in this context, I was like, it almost sounds the same. Oh, I see. Okay, you didn't catch the distinction. Okay, I, all right. I hope that helped. Yeah. 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 Any other questions? Clarifications? Uh, Contradictions, no. <laughs> concerns, <laughs> cupcakes. <no. laughs> All right. Like I said, next week we'll do uh, our the podcast. Edwin and I had. Oh, oh, oh! There was one thing I wanted to share. For those of you who um, want to look into some of this stuff. Um, on my blog, I have a. Uh, if I if I had, I don't ha I don't know how to connect to the internet. Okay, if you go to pastorfred.blogsite.org, there's a. Let me see. There's a posting called um, ritual or reality. Let me just. Oops. Pastor Fred, there it is. Okay, so if you go, if you go on to past, pastorfred.blogsite.org, okay, and you do a search. I'm, uh, huh? I'll just uh, put it on. The yeah. Okay. Uh, wait, I'm trying to. Where, where's the search part? Hmm. Yeah, just down. Oh yeah, sorry. I usually do it on desktop. Oh, there it is. Okay, so. Do look look for ritual. Well, just do search on ritual. Oops, search. Yeah, ritual. It'll say ritual or reality. The Lord's table. And I would and and if you read that, it will go into uh, uh, some of the historical perspective and, but. Um, and the question of, you know, Christ's presence in the elements and all that stuff, which is, I mean, you may not care about that, but if you're interested in that topic, um, then I go into a lot of detail on what I was trying to say tonight about uh, the body and blood and, and the meaning of what, you know, the double level meaning of the spiritual and uh, overlaid on the physical. So, yeah. The meaning of the Lord's table, what the early church did, what I call the incarnational view, what we sh what should we do, where is Christ, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, if you're interested in that, and you know, there's about a million. Well, there's a lot of postings on um, pastorfed.blogsite.org, and um, some are long and complicated, and some are short and complicated, but. <laughs> <laughs> you may find something you like. 